This morning, I can't promise I won't be loud and boisterous because that's just part of who I am, but uh, we're going to do something a little different. I'm not going to do a lot of teaching. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make in moving from Christmas to New Year's is that we often talk and spend all of Advent talking about uh, God with us. And then we make New Year's resolutions, and New Year's becomes the plans that we make without God. Uh, And so I think uh, Christmas and Advent is an invitation to start your year understanding that God is a God of new beginnings, that He's a God who invites us into uh, both joy and sorrow. God is a God of hope and peace uh, and joy and love. And yet He's not a God who puts forward anything in the Scriptures that just says, experience these things, but don't experience the things that are the opposite of them. And I think oftentimes, uh, we spend a lot of our time between Christmas and New Year's in a hurry. And I think it leads to, I think, one of the most dangerous ways you can start a new year, and that's with limited reflection. I think that's why so many people uh, break their resolutions. I think it's the reason why so many people, when they think and talk about what they want for their future or what they experienced in their past year, I think it's one of the reasons why so many people uh, sputter out before February 1st. Uh, there's a picture of someone who we, who we want to be. There's this ideal image of ourselves and all the things that we're missing and all the ways uh, that we seek to make sense of our life or feel like we matter in this world. And oftentimes those are shaped by cultural values and norms and aren't shaped by the ways that Jesus invites us into a new year. You see, I don't think that the God of the universe invites you to experience anything he hasn't. And I think limited reflection usually leads to dangerous reaction. That so many times when we don't take the time to think about where we've come from and think about where we're going and think about the ways that God meets us in that space, that we end up reacting in a dangerous way that ultimately fails us and lets us down. And we just sang a song, You're Never Gonna Let Us Down. And that's ultimately true. And like JT said, we need to sing those words prophetically sometimes because sometimes they don't feel true. But I think oftentimes the plans we make, we often let ourselves down more than we think about a God letting us down. That when we go to make our plans, we have this expectations of ourselves and we fail to give ourselves grace. We fail to recognize that we're on a journey. We fail to understand that the God who extends grace to all those people around us might actually extend grace to ourselves. And that the most functional thing you can do in thinking about your New Year's resolutions is think about the ways in which God has extended grace to you and think about the ways that you might extend grace to yourself in this new year that you don't need to achieve to be loved, that you don't need to look a certain way 
to be long, that you don't need to earn in order to make yourself important, but that God might just say, I hold you right where you are, and in your hopes and your dreads, I want to meet you. You see, I think the Christian faith is about remembering our past and allowing it to shape our future. And so I think oftentimes what we don't do, and I think what can sometimes be dangerous, uh, is we look at that past and we sit in it. But you see, I think God is the God of uh, the past, present, and the future. I think God embodies all of it. And if that's the case, and that's what we believe in our Christian tradition, then we actually have to look and we need to say, hey, in order to bring God's future reality, our, his, his future hopes into our current reality, we need to actually understand what God is saying in the scriptures and what he's not saying in the scriptures. And so when I say we need to look at the past in order for it to shape our future, what I don't mean is we just need to cling on to all the traditions. I think tradition is good, and there's traditions in the church that help us experience and know God. But there also have been traditions in the church that I really thank God we don't take part in anymore. That there have been some practices that aren't good. Whether those have been culturally adapted to be somewhat of a Christian faith, whether those have been something in where the church has really, really, really messed up. I mean, that was the whole uh, purpose of the Protestant Reformations, right? It was, hey, you want to be forgiven? You need to pay more money. The more money forgiven, the more likely you're getting into heaven, right? If we want to simplify it. Some of those things, those traditions, are things that I'm glad that we had the Reformation for. But we look at those things and we say, God is doing something new. And so when I say we need to look at our past to have it shape our future, I'm talking about the person and work of Jesus. I'm saying that we need to know that God and his work on the cross and his resurrection has invited us into new beginnings and continual new beginnings. That God is saying, the work I have done of redemption is being carried into the now and being carried into the future. The work of redemption, the work of grace, is always being extended to people. And so how might that shape our future even as culture changes? How might, when we look at a culture who's more and more skeptical of the church, how might it look and Think about what it might look like for us as a church to dream together about what a future might look like extending grace and redemption into a culture that's skeptical. What if we were known by radical kindness and goodness in our communities instead of just right theology and good ways of thinking? Not that those things aren't important. Theology is very important. But I think somebody can know and follow Jesus, have different ways of looking at theology, and still belong as, God's pers- as someone who belongs to God. And I think for so long, churches have squabbled over theological delineations. We've drawn lines in the sand of this, that, and the other thing. But what if you're just a church that's a church that follows Jesus wholeheartedly? And there are things that we would look at and say in the scriptures, yeah, this shapes who we are. But I hope first and foremost that you see that 
the, the people who, have, who get a chance to lead you want that to first and foremost be Jesus. And so as we look to our past, the beacon of that past is the person of Jesus. And as we look into our future, we ask and we pray that the grace goodness and redemption that he extends to us would be something that we extend to all people. You see, I think oftentimes we can think about the themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love, and we think about them in terms of uh, feel-goodedness. Ooh, that's really nice. It makes me really warm inside. And so I think we can put on this face like Uh, A lot of us have been sharing over the Advent uh, series that we've been doing that that sometimes you show up and you don't feel those things, that you long for hope, peace, joy, and love. But here's the thing. I don't think Scripture just tells us to be more hopeful, be more peaceful, be more joyful, or be more loving. I think that there's an invitation to be those things, but I think there's a root in those things. And that rootedness is in the person of Jesus, because we do not love a God who hasn't experienced hope without despair, peace without conflict, joy without sadness, and love without hate. I want to say that again, because I think it is the absolute most important thing when we think about Advent and moving into new space. We do not love a God who hasn't experienced hope without despair, peace without conflict, joy without sadness, and love without hate. Anything that you will experience, God has invited you to experience with him. He is present with you. And the hope of Advent is that we behold not just this ethereal idea of hope, peace, joy, and love, but that we actually can hold it in our hands and say, the God who embodies me, the spirit of the living God, God made known in the flesh, has not experienced or doesn't fail to experience anything that I will experience, any emotion that I will hold. In the Gospels, Jesus wept. In the Gospels, Jesus is in agony in the garden. In the Gospels, Rome is constantly pushing against the ways of Jesus. The the religious leaders are constantly plotting to kill him. I think Jesus might know about conflict. And I think Jesus might know about betrayal as the one closest to him is the one who kisses him and betrays him to be killed. You see, hope, peace, joy, and love are experienced in their greatest fullness when we as people understand that in our humanness, we experience despair, conflict, sadness, and hate. And we look at despair, conflict, sadness, and hate, and we can say, those aren't of God. But my God knows exactly what that feels like. And because that God lives in me, I can find hope 
amidst despair. I can find peace amidst conflict. I can find joy amidst sadness, and I can find love in spite of hate. You see, as we go into a new year, uh, you guys all have a little journal that I gave you. If you don't, uh, if you raise your hand, somebody will grab one and, and give it to you. Um, we got a little box over there if somebody wanna, wants to grab it and give it to anybody who doesn't have it. But um, we're going to do some reflection for our new year. Uh, and here's the thing. Um, our faith invites us first and foremost to reflect. Uh, it, it, it invites us to be self-aware, to understand what's going on in our heart and in our lives. We don't have a faith that just says, hey, stuff it and move on. We have a God who can handle all the things that we bring to him, all the things we feel, all the things we want to feel. We can take those to God. In that reflection, you'll find that as you look and think about the year that you've experienced, the last 365 days that you reflect on, you probably will come with different things to the table that elicit both joy and sorrow. This year was not a year that I expected. Uh, I came into last year uh, starting my graduate degree, excited for all the possibilities that held. I uh, took a ton of classes, made it through the summer, and then was unexpectedly let go at my job. A job that I love, groups of people that I cared about deeply, very suddenly, very unexpectedly, and pretty unjustly. And so I'm coming into this season enjoying where I'm at, but also lamenting what I've experienced. That I've experienced incredible, incredible, incredible despair where I felt like I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was next. God, what are you doing? I thought you have me right where you want me. God, I've been doing all these things, and uh, it seems like you've really confirmed that even though I sit in this space of tension, that you still want me here. But God, why is this so seemingly all of a sudden just everything that it feels like the stool just got kicked out from under me? I, I think about the ways in which I, you know, I'm thinking about uh, the different medical realities, you know, of uh, just the different ways in which, um, you know, COVID is still uh, going around and how people are still hurting uh, and, uh, and sick. And it feels like, oh my gosh, even though, you know, my wife and I got to spend Christmas together, it was one of those things where Megan's parents caught COVID. And, uh, you know, and so we celebrate the joy that we got to have some time with her and her siblings, but also the despair of like, man, I really wish my in-laws got to celebrate with us. You know, maybe for you, you're, you're sitting there and you've experienced something like that. And generally, all of our years are not just a trajectory that shoots the moon, you know, where it's all joy and all hope and all goodness and all love. If that's your year, like, man, I want to give you a hug, and you can tell me your formula. Uh, 
And I, and I want to like be excited because that's awesome. If you have a year where it's like, man, none of that happens. That's a blessing. And at the same time, I imagine that's probably not most of our cases that this year there was some tension that you've lived in that you knew would hurt a relationship or harm a relationship or break a relationship. There was uh, an experience that you experienced that didn't live up to the hype. There was loss that you experienced. And in the midst of that loss, maybe you experienced something that should have made you joyful and you feel guilty because it didn't. It's so funny because we talk about these things like they're so linear and we talk about reflection like it's so linear, but it's not. And life is not linear and Jesus's life wasn't linear. But we like to make order and purpose and trajectory out of things because we want things to matter. And ultimately they do, but I don't think the Christian life invites us into a trajectory that just says, all of it, all of it, you should just stuff because... Hope, peace, joy, and love are the most important things. No, I think God invites us to say, man, I'm experiencing hardship. But then I think he also might ask us, how might we meet? How might the God of the universe meet us in our hardship? How might the God of the universe meet us in our despair? And so I'm just going to put out and pose some questions this morning. And the journal is there. You can use a note on your phone. I don't care how you do it. I just wanted to make sure you had something, you know, in your hands that you could reflect with. And I'm going to, there will be a little bit of silence. So for those uncomfortable with silence, you know, sorry, uh, there's going to be some, uh, you know, make a caca sound or something like that if it gets too uncomfortable. Uh, but I'm going to ask some questions. Uh, and then what we're going to do is we're going to read with the meditate. We're going to end with a meditation on the scripture and a meditation on a liturgy. Uh, so our faith invites us to reflect. So the first question that I want you to ask, and here's the thing, all of these questions, some of these you might really identify with, and some of these you might not identify with at all. Maybe you experience no grief this year. Hallelujah. Like, you'll have other things to journal on. So don't worry, there's a question, hopefully that finds everyone where they're at. But my first question is, what grief are you carrying this year? What grief are you carrying this year? The second question coincides with it, so I'll, I'll put it out there as well. But what pain are you holding this year? So what grief are you experiencing this year and what pain are you holding this year?
What has disoriented you this year? Disorientation, uh, if you actually read the Psalms, there's this dude named Walter Brueggemann. He's a theologian, and I really like him. Uh, But he talks about the Psalms in ways that you can read the Psalms in ways that are disorienting, orienting, or reorienting. Uh, The Psalms of disorientation are the ones where it feels like all is lost. The Psalms where David is saying, all my enemies surround me. Where is their hope? Where is there a way out? God, everything that you've promised me seems so fleeting. There's something that you know to be true that kind of is disorienting, right? It kind of sets you on a different trajectory. It jars you. What was disorienting for you this year? We've got a number of questions to work through. So maybe you're honing in on one question. That's great. This is not a, we could, I, would, I would encourage you as you take down the questions and things like that to maybe spend some further time with them this week. Uh, I wish we could hold uh, an hour uh, or an hour and a half seminar where we had time to stop and meditate and think. But this morning, we're gonna, I want to set the stage for you guys to be able to do that. Um, this is something I like to do at the beginning of every year uh, and just think about the ways in which uh, these questions are kind of entering into my sphere. We're going to transition a little bit from disorientation to orientation or reorientation. What joys are you holding from this year? What joys are you holding from this year? What did you experience that was a delight? What love did you experience this year? I don't know about you, but I oftentimes for me find that I can uh, name the ways I was wronged quicker than I can name the ways I was loved. So I hope that reflecting on this question, you will find that you are held and loved. And lastly, what oriented you towards God this year? Maybe he felt distant. Maybe uh, you felt like, I don't even know if I want to dabble with this whole God thing. What oriented you towards him? What moved him? What moved you towards the God of the universe this year?
our faith doesn't only invite us to reflect, it also invites us to lament. I don't think it invites us to, again, stuff and push away the things that were hard. It invites us to lament. So in this moment, take a moment to lament the ways that this year has been hard. Now, lament, you might say, what does that mean? Express what you feel to God. Maybe you're mad at him. Maybe you are so angry at them that you just cannot handle something that went the way it did this year. Maybe you're disappointed in them. Maybe you had this idea of what was supposed to happen and it didn't and you're pissed off. Believe it or not, God can even handle you like utterly disgusted with them. And it's okay that you write it down. David did, and it even made it into the Bible. So take a second and maybe write a lament. Now here's the turn where I invite us to hold some tension. Because I think in a church where often our church is a church where we invite people who are asking questions and there's a lot of deconstruction that's happening. And I think oftentimes, sometimes that can lead us to find sorrow and despair. Uh, and it can be, hey, I have a lot of things to lament. I think the Bible actually invites us to tension. And I think the tension is that we can lament and express gratitude. Our faith doesn't just invite us to lament. Our faith invites us to gratitude. So take a moment and express gratitude to God. And in the tension of lament and gratitude, our faith invites us to dream, to look forward. But here's the thing. I think oftentimes when we think about dreaming, we're like, woo, all the good things. But I don't think that like when we look to the future, that's realistic for thinking about our new year. And so I have two questions that kind of lead us into two veins of thought. Uh, one is, what are you anticipating this year? What are the things you're excited about happening as you look to the new year? What are you anticipating? Secondly, what change are you dreading this year? I'm guessing you'll feel some level of both, that there's something to anticipate, but also some change to dread. I don't know if you're like me. I even I am probably the least consistent person uh, you would meet. I think every day needs to be different. I hate monotony. 
like nine to five terrifies me. Like I need to be able to mix it up. Um, and so like one of the things that I dreaded in my new job was that I was going to be just like stuck. Uh, and that hasn't happened. And I'm thankful that that hasn't happened, but also it's like, I'm anticipating all the people I get to meet with and I'm dreading the limitations that I'm going to have to put on that because I can't just sit with them all day, you know? And so there are hopes and dreads and things you anticipate and things you're excited about. And all those things are things that we dream about, right? Like there are good dreams and there are bad dreams. There are things that keep us up at night and there are things that make us not want to wake up. (laughs) My question though in that is I think... Uh, In taking these two questions, there's one question that I really, really, really want to give you a couple minutes here on. What are your hopes for the ways that God would meet you in your anticipation and your dread this coming year? What are your hopes for the ways that God would meet you in your anticipation and your dread this year? And as you write down the ways that you're hoping God would meet you in your anticipation and your dread this year, I would challenge you to pray for these things. That as you go through your day, that you're actually thinking about the ways in which God might intersect with the hardship and the joys that you anticipate in the coming year. And to reflect on that, I want to share with you guys a scripture. Uh, Ecclesiastes, if you've ever read it, it's a very interesting book of the Bible. Um, And to give you a picture of Ecclesiastes and the author of Ecclesiastes, things are not going super well. Verse 2 says, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2. Now, you guys are like, you just had me reflect all on that, and now you're going to tell me all is meaningless? No, because actually the author of Ecclesiastes doesn't either. But I want to set the stage, because I think that even when we feel that everything is meaningless, that there is purpose. And in Ecclesiastes 3, not just two chapters later, the author says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And you've probably heard this reflection, 1 through 8. But I'm going to read actually through chapter, verse 13, because I think it says so much more. There is uh, in every activity under the heavens a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give, to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to uh, tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time 
for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. The juxtaposition there, I don't know if you guys feel it, but I, I think is profound. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil. This is a gift of God. May you sit in that tension this new year. That as you think about toil, you also think about the gift of God, which feels like it doesn't make sense. But I don't know about you. In reflecting on this, it gives me a sense of settledness that even when it feels like things are meaningless, utterly meaningless, that God is making everything beautiful in its time, that there is a season for everything, and that even in the midst of our toil, we might find beauty. That's my hope for you this season. I want to end by praying this prayer. I... uh, I recommend if you are somebody, I am not a writer, uh, and I sometimes struggle to find words. I can talk and stumble my way into them in classic Michael Scott form. Sometimes I start a sentence and don't know where it's going, and, uh, you know, I just hope it gets there. Uh, But I also have found that sometimes when I can't express the things that I want to express, that liturgy does it for me. Um, Every moment holy... Uh, it's a, uh, if you go to the rabbit room, they're who publishes it, but they make uh, a few books. There's now three of them. Uh, and I own the first two that I love to go to that sometimes when I don't know what I'm thinking or how to express how I'm feeling, sometimes I just go and I read liturgy. And I think, uh, today I want to send you guys off with this liturgy of embracing both joy and sorrow. And it's a prayer. And I think it says exactly, uh, I, I could have just read this, but uh, I don't think JT would have liked it if, I, if my sermon was five minutes. Um, but I think it encompasses a ton of what I'm trying to say. Do not be distant, O Lord, lest I find this burden of loss too heavy and shrink from the necessary experience of my grief. Do not be distant, O Lord lest I become so mired in yesterday's hurts that I miss entirely the living gifts this day might hold. Let me neither ignore my pain, pretending all is okay when it isn't, nor coddle and magnify my pain so that I dull my capacity to experience all that remains good in this life. For joy that denies sorrow is neither hard won nor true nor eternal. It is not really joy at all. And sorrow that refuses to make space for the return of joy and hope in the end becomes nothing more than a temple for the worship of my own woundedness. 
So give me strength, O God, to feel this grief deeply, never to hide my heart from it, and give me also hope enough to remain open to surprising encounters with joy as one on a woodland path might stumble suddenly into dapplings of golden light. Amidst the pain that lades these days, give me courage, O Lord, courage to live them fully, to love to love and to allow myself to be loved, to remember, grieve, and honor what was, to live with thanksgiving in what is, and to invest in the hope of what will be. Be at work, gilding these long heartbreaks with the advent of new joys, good friendship, true fellowship, unexpected delights. Remind me again and again of your goodness, your presence, and your promises. For this is who we are, a people of the promise, a people shaped in the image of the God whose very being generates all joy in the universe, yet who also weeps and grieves in its brokenness. So we, your children, are also at liberty to lament our losses, even as we simultaneously rejoice in the hope of their coming restoration. Let me learn now, O Lord, to do this as naturally as the inhale and exhale of a single breath. To breathe out sorrow. To breathe in joy. To breathe out lament to breathe in hope, to breathe out pain, to breathe in comfort, to breathe out sorrow, to breathe in joy, to breathe out joy. In one hand, I grasp the burden of my grief, while with the other I reach for the hope of grief's redemption. And here, between the tensions of these two, between what was and what will be, is the very is of now. Let my heart be surprised by, shaped by, warmed by, remade by the same joy that forever wells within and radiates from the heart of God. Amen.